Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is part three. We're going to conclude our summary of chapters 26 through 34. I had the opportunity earlier today to be to uh, have a conversation with a young woman who is uh, doing some research on, on different religions. Um, and uh, her friend connected her, and she came to my office today. And I wasn't prepared for this. I thought she would come with a list of questions, and uh, you know, I'll try and try and answer. But uh, ultimately, ultimately, as she's in the office, I'm thinking, like, what's the message that I want her to leave with? What a what a. And there were two points that I wanted as we're having this conversation. Now I'll know for the future. If anyone <laughs> but two points that I, I really wanted to make sure to bring across. Number one is, as Jewish people, we don't missionize. What does it mean we don't missionize? As Jewish people, we... There's two ways you could look at this. You could say we stick to ourselves, we're selfish, we're Jewish, and we couldn't care about anyone else, which is incorrect. No. The, the truth is, we don't missionize because... I appreciate the value that a Jew brings to the table and I greatly appreciate the value that a non-Jew brings to the table. For example, just like you don't go to a doctor and say you should become a baker and you don't go to the baker and say you should become a doctor. The same thing is, we understand, as Jewish people, we know every single thing in this world is from God. Everything. It's not just the Jewish people were created by... Every human being was created by God. Everything was created by God. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a value. So when we say we're not trying to missionize, it's because I appreciate you for who you are. I don't want you to change. Why should you convert? Yes. We have a universal message. As Jewish people, we have a requirement. It's one of the, it's one of the requirements of the Jewish people is to actually influence the non-Jewish people to make the world a better place through keeping the seven Noahide laws, not to kill, not to steal, not to commit adultery, etc. Seven Noahide laws that the Torah says if we could keep universally, we'll make the world a better place. So it is our job to make the world a better place. It is not our... It is, let me put this in other words, the way I say it at school. We want to bring out the best of every child. That's what we say. And I want to bring out the best of every human being. And the best of every human being is them being who they are in the best way. Now this point is very appropriate to talk about today or tonight. Tonight is the 11th of Nisan. The 11th of Nisan is the birth of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe, he is love. He's love of each other. He's love of one another. That's what we're going to finish tonight, chapter 32. The highlight of Tanya, the highlight of the whole Jew of Hasidus, is appreciating, appreciating each other. On a birthday, until about 30 years ago, a birthday used to be a very sad day. And there's good reason for it. There's good reason. The birthday is the day when the trouble starts. The day of death is the day the trouble ends. What do I mean? When someone is born, you, you don't know what's going to happen. When they, when they die, you know what happened. So because of that, there's actually a quote that says, the day of death is better than the day of, of birth. Let me, let me read you that quote. Quote. 
we say the day of one's death is better than the day of one's of his birth. This is from Tanakh in the Bible itself. And people therefore actually would look at their birthday as a sad day. I'm not going to go into why that switched now, maybe later. But what I wanted to share with you is let's look at Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe was born, how do we know that the day of Moshe's birth is a celebration? Because he died on his birthday. He died on his birthday, which is actually a special merit. Very well said. It's a very it's a special merit to die on the day you were born, um, and it was 120 full years. Mm-hmm. In the story of Purim, the story of Purim happened in the month of Adar. When Haman saw that his lots fell in the month of Adar, he was thrilled. He said, Adar is the month that Moshe passed away. It's a sad month. And yet, a heavenly voice came out and said, actually, it's also the day that he was born. Haman thought it's a great day because it's the day of Moshe's death, which was a very sad day, the end of an era, and a heavenly... No, no, it's also the day he was born. I thought we just said the day of death is better than the day of birth. So by Moshe, let, let's look here. Is it more important? The day of death is more important. No, no, no. We're saying the day of death, and we're not saying this, that it's, we're not saying literally, but in a perspective, the day of death is a happier day than the day of birth. Why? Because the day of death, you look at a person and you say, this person, he lived a full life, a complete life. He had a challenging life. It was tough. But look at what became of him. On the day of birth, he was nothing. There's a, treach- there's a slippery slope up ahead. It's a very sad. When I want to tell you, when I think about my kids and going through life, it's scary for me. <laughs> I mean, it's scary for all of them. <laughs> there you go. I hope you're not laughing at me. So, yeah, it's, it's a scary world out there. So why, what's the greatness of Moshe's birthday? What's the greatness of a birthday of a tzaddik? Moshe, we learned the day he was born, his house was filled with light. Filled with light. Rashi says, the day he was born, his house was filled with light. What type of home was he born in? He was born in the home of Amram. He was born in the home of the leader of the Jewish nation. It was already full of light. And Moshe's birth brought even greater light to that home. That means on the day of birth, as a tzaddik, as a leader of the Jewish people, Moshe's birth itself brought a tremendous new light into the world. A tremendous light, and, and it's a celebration. And therefore, when we talk about the, the birthday of a tzaddik, in every generation there's a Moshe. de Moshe In every generation, Moshe exists. We can't live without a Moshe in every generation. So when we talk about the birthday of a tzaddik, um, the birthday, tonight is the birthday of the Rebbe. May it be a positive energy and blessing for all of us. Let's, let's bring this together here. Can I share one more thought before we get into Tanya? I want to share one more amazing thought. This week's parish is called Achremos. It's also a tragic, it's also a tragic title. What, what, what are we with tragic titles? Achremos means after death. After death. 
What a sad title. And it's not talking about the death, a happy death. It's talking about the death of the high priest's two children. Why did they die? Because they went in with full of excitement and vigor into the Holy of Holies and they brought incense, where they brought um, spices to God. They died. And then we say, this week's Torah portion says, after their death, that's the name of the whole portion. What's, the cel- what's positive about after their death? That we're called... Everything is a lesson. Aaron, the high priest, his children, they weren't illiterate. They knew, they knew what's going on. And yet, they had such a thirst, such a desire to connect with God. Mm-hmm. It's like a heart. You know, your heart is pumping back and forth. And that's what Hashem wants from us. In Kabbalah we call it the Ratzoi, the Ran, Vishuv, and the Return. Hashem wants us to constantly, like a flame, that's why also we're going to learn in chapter 35, our, our soul is like a flame, because the flame is constantly going higher and coming back. That is how life should be. We should constantly be yearning to connect with God and separate, and yet recognize we need to be here, this constant tug of war. The first people that we know of, that the Torah shares, that had a tremendous yearning for God, were these two people, Nadav and Avihu. Now, Nadav and Avihu. Aaron had four children. Right, but wasn't that like a few weeks ago? That Didn't they have like a uh, fire? Yeah. I have to say, Gershon, that's a fantastic question. Or, was it, or did I miss They're still talking about it. It's a very good question. Just to, just to explain to you, the Torah is not in any order. Ain, Muqtam Amulchar Torah. It's a good question. We spoke about their death a few, a few partios back. And this week's portion is called After Their Death. Why? Because the Torah is telling us that these two people, they brought into the world the ability to really yearn for God on this, with this incredible le- on this incredible level. Their mistake was they didn't come back. But we could learn, after their death, the Jewish people were now at a new potential. We now understood where we should be. You know, don't they say, don't they say you learn from your mistakes? Yeah, they some got, do, some killed. don't. No, but they, they got killed, though. I mean, didn't, wasn't yeah, that God that sort of... I don't want to go into it, at, in, I don't want to go into this at length, but they weren't murdered. God didn't kill them. They actually, they, they united with God. We're not talking about that, that they died. Yeah, the yeah, goal, yeah, yeah. Right? They, they act, it's not that, it wasn't... Yes, yes, yes. So, the, le- the reason it's called Achrei Moses is to teach us that we have the ability to have this intense yearning, physical yearning desire for God. That's certainly a, a level that we should all try and attain. Our goal tonight is to talk about two methods of coming to constant joy and then to conclude with love of your fellow. Didn't that happen to a rabbi in Yom Kippur services as well? Did he die? That's why he was overtaken and ascended right before the congregation. There are some stories like that I've heard. Yeah. Okay, we're on page three in our handouts. Joy, and the first level of joy we're going to talk about is joy through bitterness. Again, Yishai, great to see you. Joy through bitterness. That's called marriage. 
Joy through bitterness means that you look at yourself and you see where you're holding. You see that you're on a low state. And you say, nonetheless, inside of me, I have the biggest treasure possible. I may be filthy, I may be dirty, but, in, but I am the brightest jewel that exists. So in whatever position we are, we, could, we all know that we have a peace of God, a, a true peace of God inside of us. So what should we do now? So we may be filthy, we may be down and dirty, something happened, but we have a peace of God inside of us. So how could we come to joy? Imagine if the king's child is in prison. The king's child is not only in prison, but he's in the mud in prison. And he's doing disgusting work. And that child is now released from prison. What a celebration. What a happiness the king is going to have from that. You and I, we have that potential to create this amazing joy by God. Every time we do something positive, we are bringing back that child from, from the filth in the prison. We're able to bring God this intense joy. Let's see that inside. Joy through bitterness. The first dot. Truly, I am far removed from God. Yes, I have sinned. I have, I, I'm in a really bad space. Yet all this is myself alone. The body with its vivifying soul, with the nefesh hachiyunis, the animalistic soul. Yet, there is within me a veritable part of God. Literally a piece of God, except that it is in a state of exile. It's hidden. Do you want to share with me? Therefore I shall make him my whole aim and desire to extricate her and liberate her from this exile. So there's God is in exile. God is in exile. If you remember, we learned that when someone sins, the example is you're taking the king with his crown and you're sticking him into a, toilet, into a dirty toilet bowl. Have we learned this analogy? I think we learned it together. If you sin, so you are a piece of God, and God's coming with you to your sin. It's not like you say, okay, you got, if God, you stay here, watch me from a distance. No, God comes with you. The analogy is that literally you're taking the king with the crown, God's inside of us, and you're sticking his head into filth. Inside of us there's a piece of God and we, we need to release it. This shall be his service all his life in great joy, the joy of the soul in her release from the despised body and returning to her father's house as in her youth. Think about your soul. Think about the celebration of your soul every time you do something positive, releasing it from its exile. And although the body is still in its contemptible and abominable state, his soul will become more precious in his eyes than his despised body and he will rejoice in her joy. So yes, you may, your soul, may, your, your body may be in, in a not such a good space. Maybe we've done things that have not been healthy, but our soul is still pure. Right? A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Nothing's going to be able to break that ever. And that is why, because we appreciate the king never gives up on his child. No matter what's going to happen, whatever his child's going to do, the king is never going to give up on him. 
The godly soul is pure, the animal soul is not. Is that not what you taught us? Everything is from God. The, the pureness of God is in the godly soul. Yeah. And, and so that kind of takes us back to our conversation last week, which I loved, again, about that person that's doing something really, really low. At the end of the day, he's God's child, literally, literally. And God loves him. Even though he's immoral and unethical. You tell me. You tell, I, don't want you, I don't want to talk about, you, God My forbid, judgment. if you... I don't want to talk about if that was in your... If, if, I don't want to talk about it. Pretend. Okay. Okay, pretend that someone has a child that is immoral. Are they going to love... Are, deep down, do they still love that child? Sure. Okay. So that child... That, that's God's child. That's, that's the end of the conversation. We are all God's child, and no matter what happens, no matter how immoral and, and you know, inappropriate it may be, God still loves them. <coughs> and they're related to us. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy, mm. and I'm not saying I could do it, but at least I feel like I'm saying the truth. That's one step. The first step is to focus on the beauty of the soul, the purity of the soul within us. And know that no matter what happens, it's pure. And if I can release it, that brings me a great joy. The second level of joy, please. Do you have an obligation? If we're both God's children, yeah. and one's evil and one's not, yeah. does one have an obligation to do something about the other? If he's your child... He's talking about yeah. if it's a child. One, one second. If it's your uh, child? Yeah, do I... You're, you're saying, you're, you're, I'm just saying for our conversation, your biological child you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. If yeah. your biological child is acting immorally, do you have an obligation to help them? Is that the question? Yeah. I mean, if they weigh out, if they weigh out on the continuum... Well, that's what Well, it doesn't matter. If you, have, if you have a child yeah. and they've stepped out, yeah. they've done something really, really bad. Yeah. Murder, mayhem, something really bad. Yeah. Do you, do you, still, have an, do you still have an obligation to them? We're going to learn that at the end of this, this conversation today. Right. It's, because at what point, at what point do they have to take responsibility for their actions and your, your responsibility as a parent... If I don't answer it by the end of the night, get back to me, okay? Okay, the second method of joy is by realizing by realizing that you're on the winning team. You're on the winning team. You are, before, the first method was realizing the pure, this, the releasing the soul from its imprisonment. The second method is Realizing that you are fully one with Hashem. And nothing can ever separate you, right? If Hashem is everywhere, and Hashem is everything, so wherever I go. Gam kielich begates al Mavis. Chapter 23 of Tillim. True story. A, a Jewish woman converted another religion and she shared with a rabbi who later on, she, later on she came back to Judaism she shared what drew her to 
the other religion, she saw this beautiful, beautiful, they had the most beautiful prayers. What was the prayer that really caught her attention? A psalm by David. The Lord is my shepherd. Said by King David. So in chapter 23, we say, Even when I go in the shadow of death, I don't fear, I don't, I don't feel bad. Hashem is constantly with me wherever I go. I had this experience myself. I was in Australia, in, in Melbourne, Australia. I went to home to visit them for Hanukkah. And the people, they didn't know much about Judaism. They were excited. They welcomed me in and they sit me down and they're like, we're very upset, they tell me, that Judaism is trying to take after the other religions. Why? We're trying to copy the other religions because we, leave, we believe in the Messiah. We're copying the other religions. They started the idea of Messiah and we're... So I said, okay, let's have a little conversation. Let's talk about this. So, so when we truly understand how we are, Hashem is everything. Hashem is everywhere. How can we have fear? How can we have fear? What are we fearful of? We're fearful of Hashem Himself. The previous Rabbi once said, he said, you could worry as much as you want. It's not going to affect the outcome. If we truly believe that Hashem has a master plan, so your worry is not going to change that plan. Yaakov Avinu needed to get down to Egypt. We're go- we say these words in the Haggadah, we say. He was going to get to Egypt by hook or by crook. What does it say in the Haggadah? It says either he was going to go by himself or he was going to go, I believe, in chains. I think that's what it says. Somehow Yaakov, the master plan, are you familiar with what I'm talking about, Dr. Malov? I think it says something like compelled versus voluntary. Right, 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 right. Hashem's plan is going to happen. And if we could really appreciate that it's Hashem's plan, then that's going to be a sense of joy. Let's see this inside. Page 4, through understanding God's unity. What is God's unity? What does it mean that Hashem is Hashem Echad, we say in Shema? It doesn't mean there's one God. Of course it means there's one God. There's only one, but it means much, much deeper. He permeates all worlds, both upper and lower. And even this world is filled with His glory. So the first step is, Hashem is everything. The second step is, everything is of no reality whatsoever in His presence. Hashem is everything, but just so you know, don't get too excited about yourself. You have no reality in the presence of Hashem. Hashem is infinite and finite in one. Hashem has no limitations. For all things created are nullified besides Him in their very existence. So the first, what does it mean? The unity of Hashem, it means Hashem is everything, but we should know that we are nullified relative to Hashem. What's the joy of the proximity of God when one will deeply contemplate this? Think about how Hashem is everything. His heart will be gladdened and his soul will rejoice since this is the experience of the very proximity of God. I, I, I'm going to my in-laws, God willing, tomorrow night for Pesach. I know it's exciting. I'm going to be visiting them. No jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> when you invite people to your house, it's nice. You're hosting people. 
So Shmuel has homes in his house. Hashem is in every one of those homes. It sounds like a little, it sounds like cliche, it sounds fake, but it's true. If Hashem is everywhere, so you are ish, you are hosting Hashem in your home. How many bedrooms do you have in your house? Four. Four. So you have four bedrooms that are hosting Hashem. You know, they say the holiest part of your home is your bedroom. So how happy would that make you? That that should be making you so happy. That Hashem, you're hosting Hashem. What's the double joy? Not only are you happy, but you're making Hashem happy. How are you making Hashem happy? He will doubly rejoice with the joy of God and the tremendous gratification rendered to him by virtue of his faith, whereby the sitra achor is verily subdued and darkness is changed into light. If you remember, we learned previously that when someone goes ahead and challenges evil, it brings a tremendous happiness to Hashem above. So when you go ahead and you're celebrating in the unity of God, so you're, it's a personal celebration, but also by subduing the evil, you're making Hashem happy. So it's a, it's a doubled joy. The problem is, Tanya com- continued in this subject, that we can't really understand the unity of God. Only the, only the <clears throat> forefathers were able to. So how can we celebrate? And we gave three practical methods to be able to truly bring God into your life on, on a to be able to truly bring God into your life. Number one is through Torah study. In the words of Tanya, well, let's just read the caption. We cannot truly understand Achtus Hashem. We don't have the ability to truly understand that what this means, the unity of God. How can we still be happy? How can we still be able to host God if we don't truly understand? So three methods. Number one is, through Torah study, let the person reflect in his heart as follows. In as much as my intelligence and the root of my soul are of too limited a capacity to constitute a chariot and abode for his unity, I'm I'm not that smart. I don't have the capabilities to host God. I shall make for him a tabernacle and habitation by engaging in the study of Torah as my time permits. The study of Torah... When you study Torah, you're actually, what happens when you know something well? You, in your mind, surrounded that item. That item has become a part of you. When you learn Torah, you're actually grasping God. In this way, his heart will be gladdened that he has merited to act as a host to the Almighty twice daily. When you go ahead and you learn Torah, once in the morning when you wake up and once before you go to sleep, at those moments, you have hosted God by capturing God within your mind when you understand something. The problem with saying the method of being happy is through Torah study alone was that many people only have the ability to study once in the morning, once at night, if they can. We need to make a living. So what could you do? Unbelievable, right? In Torah law we have a rule that a good deed, a good intention is like deed. If you, if you want to do something, it's as if you did it. And therefore, if you feel that if you could learn the entire day, you would, then it's as if you've learned the entire day. It's as if you've grasped God in your mind the entire day. That's what we continue to say. And if God will lavish on him in yet fuller measure, then he who has clean hands will increase his effort and a good intention. God joins to a deed. The fact that we, we truly feel that if we could learn a whole day, we would, it's as if we learned a whole day. It's as if we hosted Hashem the entire day. But now we're going to say on even a deeper level. I, I'm go, I know I'm going fast. It's review. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. 
The third method of hosting Hashem in everything you do, including business, is giving charity. When you give charity, you're giving charity from your hard-earned work. The time you put into your work, the mind space you put into your work, you, got, you made money off of that. If you go ahead and give 10% of that to charity, or whatever the percentage is, that means you've, given, you've taken from all of your hard work and you've elevated it to Hashem. Even the remainder of the day when He is engaged in commerce, He will provide a dwelling for Him, blessed be He, through the giving of charity out of the proceeds of His labor which is one of the divine qualities that He is compassionate, so must you be compassionate. We need to copy Hashem. And Hashem loves all. Hashem has compassion. And we need to try and emulate Hashem's compassion. And this is done with the giving of charity. So here we have two methods of coming to constant joy, whether it's through releasing our soul from captivity or thinking how we are, how we are one with God. Before we continue, I want to I share Dr. Nala, can I borrow your Tanya for a moment? It would be an honor for me if I could borrow your Tanya for just one moment. So, let's, let's understand what chapters we've been talking about. And it will help us understand the brilliance of chapter 32. I, I shared with you this method of joy through the release of the soul. That is chapter 31. That is chapter 31. And then we talked about the joy that comes through the proximity of God. That is chapter 33. Okay. Chapter 31 should really be followed immediately by chapter 33. Chapter 32 that talks about love of a fellow Jew is out of place. It's literally out of place. If, you, if, you, if we understand the flow, again, chapter 31 talks about coming to joy. Through the release of the soul. Chapter 33 talks, is a continuation talking about joy through the, prox the close proximity of God. Chapter 32, talking about the love of your fellow Jew, doesn't belong there. And here we come to that beautiful point we shared, that 32 is a numerical value of? Lev. Lev, of heart. The Alter Rebbe said, I'm going to place in the heart of Tanya in the heart of the guide for a Jew what's the, what's the heart of it? what's the core? is to love your fellow Jew as yourself it, it, we even have an original manuscript of Tanya the first edition it's called, it's called Madur Kama where chapter 32 does, is not here in other words when we have the, the earlier um, the earlier manuscripts of how the Alter Rebbe was still planning the Tanya, chapter 32 is not here. After he completed the Tanya, he inserted chapter 32 mm. in its place here. Thank you, Dr. Mala. And with this understanding, we could understand how important... How many, I'm sorry, how many chapters of Tanya are there? 53. Corresponding to the 53 Torah portions. Mm. However, didn't some of it burn up? Of the Tanya? There's different other things that burned. There's other things. Al Rebbe wrote a manuscript. The Tanya is called a manuscript for the average average person. Al Rebbe also wrote a manuscript for a tzaddik, and that was burned. Mm. And, and our understanding is that Hashem wanted it to be burned. Mm. It wasn't something that. 
The Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov himself, I, I don't want to make a mistake here, but I don't believe he wrote any Sfarim. He wrote any books. We have... Disciples, if I, a disciple, if I remember correctly, wrote down everything that he wrote. Right, right. We have, we have mm-hmm. books of his, of, his mm-hmm. to, of his Torah, but I don't believe he himself authored any Sfarim. I may be mistaken. So the Alter Rebbe. The Baal Shem was the founder of the Hasidic movement. Mm-hmm. And the Alter Rebbe, two generations later, was the founder of the Chabad movement. And, and the, what's the guy's name that was in between? The, the Mezritcher Maggit. Was, was he the student of the Baal Shem he, he, was, he was a student. I don't think he was the student who, auth- who wrote the wrote down his words. Oh. Yeah. You could find it to the book called Kesar Shemtov, the Crown of the Shemtov, which which is which is talks of the Baal Shemtov. So the heart the heart of Judaism is via hafta Lareyacha Kamocha is love your fellow as yourself. And this is one of the six hundred and thirteen commandments. One of the six hundred and thirteen commandments is the Ahaftalariacha, love your fellow, and it doesn't stop there. If it stopped there, it wouldn't be too hard. Because love, who, who knows what love is? Yeah, I love everybody. I, I, hear every, I, I talk to a lot of kids. I love, I love everybody. Or I talk to a lot of adults. I get along with everybody. <laughs> so the Torah says, one second. Do you love everybody as much as you love yourself? Now, what's the def- how, what does it mean, love yourself? What does it mean, love yourself? You ever came on time to shul, and all of a sudden you're looking back at everyone who came late, and what? these people, they don't have their act together. What ba-? And then when you come late to shul, you're like, wow, I'm a tzaddik today, because I, I shouldn't have even come today. And I still... For ourselves, we have a lot of excuses. Do we have those same excuses for our friends? Do we love our friends? This is a quote from the Torah again. Love your fellow as yourself. Do we love others as much as we love ourselves? So, there's two items. Item one is, how can you love everybody? Some people are weird. Some people are weird. Some people we don't love. So how could I love them? <laughs> Some people I don't love. Right? right? You know this. You know the story of the man who was on an island by himself. Mm-hmm. Someone came to visit him, and he shared, "On this island we have two shoals." <laughs> so he said, "You're only one person. Why do you need two?" He said, that's the, sh- that's the shul I go to, and that's the shul I don't go to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See that one over there? I wouldn't set foot in the place. <laughs> how do we, how can we love everyone? The method that Tanya prescribes is by Let's see it inside on page 5. Acting in the suggestion mentioned above to view one's body with scorn 
if we truly appreciate our body, we truly appreciate how our body itself, if you remember, we mentioned four items about our body previously. We mentioned how our body is capable of lusting th- things that no, even the, even the most unclean animals can't lust. If you think about the contamination of sins, if you try and track your... Sorry, let me just share what I'm reviewing now. On page 2, on the bottom section where it says, crushing through contemplation about the loneliness of the animalistic soul, we shared four points on the bottom there. How your animalistic soul is capable of doing things worse than the lowest animals. Thinking about the contamination of your soul from the sin of youth. Being a master of accounts, trying to truly track what you've done from the day you were born until today and seeing it's not so simple. Thinking about your dreams and the fact that you're not having holy dreams is a reflection on not having a pure heart. If we think about this, we'll we'll come to find joy within ourselves by thinking about our soul. That's what we learned in chapter that's what we mentioned previously, the joy of our soul. Well, the joy of your soul, if we're going to look past someone's body, then we could love them equally. We all have a soul. Not only do we all have a soul, who knows which soul is greater? So let's say that again. The moment we're able to look past our own body and appreciate our soul, so let's look past everyone's body and appreciate their soul. Let's see that inside. Acting in the suggestion mentioned above. To view one's body with scorn and finding joy only in the joy of the soul alone, if you're able to focus on the joy of the soul, is a direct and easy way to attain the fulfillment of the commandment, you shall love your fellow as yourself. For whereas one despises and loathes one's body, while it's for the soul and spirit, who can know their greatness and excellence in their root and source in the living God? Do you know we, we learn... This is a really an amazing thing. We learn that, that and, and forgive me for the wording is, is the way I'm going to express it here, but two lowly parents have the ability to give birth to the greatest child. And I'm talking even on a spiritual level. You could have two low, whatever word you want to use, impure parents, and those parents have the ability to give birth to the soul of, of the greatest man. The moment we look, we, t- we take a step back from the body, we look at the soul, we don't know who's greater. That's point one. Continues in chapter 32, we learned, there are some people you need to hate. The Torah says there's certain people who, even with regards to those who are close to him, if it's a good friend of yours, and whom he has rebuked. You called him over appropriately and you said, look, Mark, I love you. I think the way you were, you were, the way I saw that you were interacting with that food was very remarkable. You really, you, you uh, sat down appropriately. But, you know, a Jew shouldn't be eating that food. I don't know. You, however, you, you rebuked the person. The Torah itself has many chapters how to rebuke. So if it's a friend of yours, because if it's not a friend, he's not going to listen to you. Why should, why should Mark listen to Yankel? Right. So, so if you see someone doing something wrong and it's not a friend of yours, 
So then, generally, it's not even our place to comment. But if it's a friend of yours and you've rebuked him, and they still have not repented, continues Tanya, when he's enjoined to hate them, such a person you need, to, you need to be wary of. Again, it's a friend of yours, and he's familiar with the Torah. And you went ahead and you told him off, and, he st- and you told him off the way the Torah says. You didn't scream at him. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You took him privately to the way the Torah says. There still remains a duty to love them always. And both are right. Hatred because of the wickedness in them, and love on account of the aspect of the hidden love in them. I don't know why it says food. Hidden food. I guess there's also hidden food. But hidden love in them. So, let, let's, let's talk about love for a moment. So let's try and focus on Mark's question. We, we, within ourselves, we want to peel back our own body. We know that our body has its own challenges. Now I'm talking for myself. I know some of you out around this table, your bodies are pure and thank God have never don't know what a sin is. But for those people that aren't familiar with sin, I'll tell you, there is something where people do things that they shouldn't. And if we could peel back our body, so someone comes to you and they're, they're, in, they're in really bad space. They tell you they've sinned. So, so, so the first step Tanya is saying is peel back the body. Deep within, no matter what, there is a piece of God. God's child is within you. And God loves that child. We're not talking now therapy. right? That's, maybe they may teach that, but we're saying this is the reality. Within you, there is a piece of God. A child of God. And God wants you to release him. That's step A. If you could, re- if you could remove your own body, then do that for somebody else. The moment you could do it for somebody else, you'll love everyone. Because when we look at the soul, we're all, we're all equal. Not only are we all equal, you don't know, the person who you think is lower, his soul may be even higher. So now remind me your question. So, you have somebody in your life, a child, a friend, yeah. who has done something really bad. Murder, mayhem something that society would frown upon. You have, as a friend, you said you have an obligation to say something, but as, with a child, is there a point where the child has to take, personal, take the responsibility for their own actions and you don't have an obligation anymore? Or do you always have an obligation? So your question is not about love. It's a different question, if I'm correct. Your your question is, at what point do you say I'm not responsible for my children? Yeah. I mean, on on a very technical level, we say bar and bas mitzvah, 12 and 13. Um, In in certain laws, the age of 20 is a Torah age where there's, until a person is 20, the uh, punishment of karis wouldn't hit them. So there's different, there's different, uh, there's 12, 12 for a girl, 13 for a boy, and generally the age of 20. Um, any questions? Dr. Mallow, please. So, since we really don't know um, the soul of somebody, right. we only know them by their actions and speech and, and so on. Um, so if we're saying, well, I'm really going to love this person um, because, <clears throat> although I can't see it, 
inside he's got a good soul. Yeah. Part of God. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th that um, th that's kind of an abstract thought. I mean, it's it's um, um, it's. You're saying, well, I, what I see is not very good here, but I'm going to I'm going to try to overlook it because I know, or, or you know, by by um, what what I learn is that everybody has a soul that's part of God. Therefore, He has one too, and therefore I'm going to love Him. Right. But but it but can can one really love Him? An abstraction like that, I mean, or an abstract idea, it's sort of an abstract idea. A tzaddik can. Mm -hmm. A tzaddik can. A tzaddik can. Yeah. We may not be able to. Dr. Malov, I'm not, I'm not, a, let me see if I can repeat this back. If someone is bad, then how can you love him? Is that the question? I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not following. Well, you say, well, I love him because everybody has a soul that's part of God, right. and therefore he must have one too. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I know this sort of on an intellectual level, Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's kind of an abstract intellectual understanding. Can, can you really love somebody on the basis of that? Um, on the basis of this idea or concept? Um, is it, is it really love if it's if it's that abstract? Um, What's stopping you from making it a reality? Uh, is that a jerk? Probably your own <laughs> imperfections. I mean, your own inability to 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 um, your socialization. Well, do we have to? We can love, but we don't have to like. And do we have a responsibility to bring out the, the love in that other person? The wording of Tanya we just read is you could... There are people that you could have hatred because of the wickedness in them. That means you could hate their bad, but you need to love them. You need to love the good within them. Oh, okay. So this is, this is... You're allowed to... As, as long as the appropriate prescription is there, you're allowed to hate. Don't you tell this to a child? You know, I don't know, in, in education we're constantly saying this. You don't tell a child you're bad. Mm -hmm. child's not bad. Your actions are bad. Mm -hmm. You don't tell someone, right, that's, you're stupid. You're not stupid. It could be this subject you haven't mastered. So you need to master it. Mm -hmm. But we're not labeling you. And that's what we're saying here. When someone does something bad, we're not labeling them anymore. They, we're not labeling them because they, they still are. They have a piece of God within them. We are their brother. Mm -hmm. There may be bad within them and we're allowed, you know, with, with the prescription, we're allowed to hate that bad. Is, is there a difference between that person's godly soul and, and animal soul? I mean, are we uh, allowed to hate the animal soul, but we have to Love the godly soul. Is that? I mean, perhaps, perhaps you could break it up like that. But, but Dr. Malov, to your point, we can make it a reality. 
I know people in my life who I believe have been able to master this and truly love another Jew without, without distinction. I think it's possible. I do. Like unconditional? Unconditional love is, is just to clarify, yes, to love them no matter what for the good within them. Mm-hmm. We're not saying we're not saying that you need to start inviting over inappropriate people to your house now and have them influencing so you. That's not them. what? So we can love them. No, he's saying we're not saying that you need to allow them to have a bad influence on you. But you do need to love them. What does love mean? What does love mean? Be there for them. Care for them. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story that happened in the West Coast. There was a person last year who was in prison and died. Died in prison. And locally, there was a big fight. The fight was, will we as a Jewish people come together and pay for his burial. And as Chabad, when we heard that conversation, it was, it was terrifying. If you want to talk about a person, if you want to talk, we could talk about, we could say that there's, maybe they've done things in their life. But we have to love them for, their, for, for the good within them. Mm-hmm. That was, I heard Baruch saying, yes. We, that is why it is so important to us to go and, and make sure that all the people in, in the state of Oregon have mats, including those that are unfortunately locked up mm-hmm. and don't have. Because they're still our brother. And no matter what's going to happen, they'll, they'll always be our brother. We need to appreciate mm-hmm. them and love them for that. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like the um, Hanukkah and giving them a Hanukkah. That's right. I want to tell you an extreme. An extreme. Haman... When a per- if a person is hung in Torah, in Torah law, you, need it, you hang the body for literally a second. You take it down immediately. Why? Because, because you are embarrassing that person. And reflectively you're embarrassing God because we're mm-hmm. created in God's image. Even, even people that unfortunately have done substantial mm-hmm. things, we still need to love them for who they are. It's a big task. I'm not saying it's easy. But I do think it is achievable. And I, bl- I, I wish that one day I'll be able to be there. I'm not saying, but yes. Thank you very much. Thank you.